Praise the Lord, amen. We're glad to be in the house of God on this Christmas Eve, the eve of the day we celebrate Christ's birth. Uh, what a great day to be here in the house of the Lord, amen. We want to go to the Lord in prayer. We do have several that are connected to the church. That We have some that's in the hospital, uh, some that are at home sick. I want to be much in prayer for them. I uh, do have a lot that's going to be on the road traveling today. Uh, what's another thing that people are going to be doing today and tomorrow? Oh, eating. We're going to be praying that everybody don't overeat. Hallelujah. Uh, I think I'm going to try not to, or two. I don't know which one. Uh, but different ones are going to be traveling. Different ones are going to be, you know, things going on next day or two. Uh, we'll be praying for safe travel. But we also want to be praying that everybody remembers the reason for this celebration. Amen. Amen. Uh, we want to be much in prayer for those uh, that's in the hospital again. We do have some that's in the hospital, so let's be much in prayer for them as well. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you today again, thank you for the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity that you've allowed us to come to worship and praise you. Father, I pray today that you'll move and minister in a mighty way in our Sunday school lessons and our Sunday school classes today. Father, you see those that are in our nursery, our kids' class, our teens, young adults here in the sanctuary, those that have joined us in-house and those that have joined us on live feed. Father, I pray that you'll move and minister in the hearts and lives of each one. I praise you for what you've done and what you're going to continue to do in our midst this day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, the title of our lesson, well, the unit that we've been looking at, the unit we've been looking at is the Gospel by Matthew. The Gospel by Matthew, talking about Jesus being the teacher and how Jesus is showing as an example to you and I the way to live our lives and what to do, the things that we're doing. And so uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. You might as well stay in it for our lesson today. The title of our lesson is The Birth of the King. The Birth of the King. Uh, this is our Christmas story, our Christmas lesson. And some of the things that we're going to be looking at today is because he is king, Jesus is worthy of our adoration and our praise. Because he's king, he's worthy of our adoration and our praise. He's worthy to give honor. He's worthy to be given glory. He's worthy to present this praise that we are here to do to the king. We are also supposed to recognize Jesus as the king and worship him. We need to recognize he is the king. He's not the lowercase k-i-n-g. He is the king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And finally, our emphasis 
today is that Christians, this is important for us. This is important for us. As a Christian, we should seek to bring sinners into Christ's kingdom. We need to seek to bring Christians into Christ's kingdom. How do we do that? By spreading the good news of Jesus. Over the last probably month, two months, I've had several conversations with church folks, not necessarily Coosa Valley, but other church folks, uh, other church leaders, uh, uh, pastors, leadership in churches, and in churches themselves, and people are getting ready. Uh, the church of God as a whole is getting ready for this next year is the General Assembly. It's going to be in Indianapolis, Indiana. The problem with that is it's cold. I'm not looking forward to that part, but I'm not going to be outside much. But the thing is, is there's a lot of people getting ready. And one of the biggest emphasis that people are trying to emphasize, not just in the Church of God, but Baptist and other denominations as well, is as a church, we're not supposed to be the church of just inside these four walls. We're supposed to be the church going out of these four walls, spreading the good news of Jesus. Told somebody just a few day, a few weeks ago, told them, the command that God gave us, the command that Christ gave us was one word, two letters, G-O. We're supposed to go. But too many people are in the church world are so busy sitting on pews and they're arguing about how hot, how cold, how loud the music, how soft the music, how long the preaching, how short the preaching. Should be bolder preaching, should be softer preaching, should be harder preaching, should be uh, easier preaching. Uh, that, that wasn't the right song. That was it. We're too busy. Those church folks are too busy arguing over those things, and we're not focusing on spreading the gospel to the sinners to bring them into God's kingdom. That's what we're. That's what we're here for. If we were sent here to argue over the over the temperature in the uh, sanctuary, boy, we've got a big, big problem. But what we're here for is we're supposed to be spreading the gospel of Christ to the world we live in. Amen. Take a look at uh, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Isaiah 7 and verse 14. And the Bible tells us this. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Do you know I've had so many people... They'll come to me and they'll say, Brother Andy, I need a sign for this. I need a sign for that. I want a sign to know that I'm doing this right. I want a sign to know that I'm doing that right. Well, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. And here's your sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. I'm not looking for another sign. I'm not looking for those things. I'm, I'm listening for a trumpet to sound now. I'm not looking for another sign. I'm listening for the trumpet of God. Amen? And that's the thing that we need to emphasize in our life. The, more, the most significant event in all of human history was the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. There's so many events that's happened throughout history. There's so many things that's happened in human, in human history but we must understand, had it not been for the birth of Christ, there would be no cross of Calvary. If it had not been for the birth of Christ, there would not be a cross. If it had not been for the birth of Jesus, there would be no resurrection. Had it not been the birth of Jesus, there would be no ascension to the Father sitting on the right hand making intercession for you and I. I dare to say if it had not been for the birth of Christ, 
the Holy Spirit would not have been sent to be a comfort and a guide in our lives. I don't know that for certain, but I think I've got a pretty good in, in, indication. Had it not been the birth of Christ, a lot of things would not have happened in our thought in our lives today. Amen. That first thought, it seems most unworthy that the Son of God had to be conceived. He had to be born, and he had to pass through the stages of birth through human development. He had to learn how to walk, had to, or excuse me, had to learn how to crawl. Then he had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to drink milk, and then had to learn how to how to grow and to eat meat. He had to go through the human stage of develop human stages of development. But the interval between God and humanity is so vast that the difference between childhood and manhood of his life is of little consequence to us. Why? Because he is still up to this day. They say that there's great marvels on earth. You've got Stonehenge. You've got the Grand Canyon. You've got all of these great marvels and mysteries, the pyramids in Egypt, these marvels of history of humanity, the greatest marvel of all time is the fact that Jesus Christ would consent, would consent to be man at all. Not that he would consent to become an infant, but that Christ would consent to leave heaven and come to earth to become a man, to, to knowing when he left heaven. Sister Sarah, he is in He's got streets of gold, gates of pearl, the crystal river. He's there in heaven and he consented to hang on a cross for you and I. That is the greatest marvel of all mankind. Sometime after the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, mysterious visitors arrived from the east. We believe that it was approximately uh, about two years, about two years time frame is when the wise men arrived to there where Jesus was at. You know, it sounds weird for us that it would be that kind of a time, but it, that's the time, approximation of when the Magi or the wise men, uh, they was probably priests, sages, students of astrology, students of religion. These are learned people. These wise men, approximately two years after the birth of Christ, is when they came from an eastern country, probably Persia or Media. The quest of the king of the Jews is what they had on their minds. Contrary to popular belief, we have no certainty of the number of how many it is. We, we always say it was the three wise men. We don't really have a certainty of how many it was. We say the three wise men because they brought frank, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We think that, but we don't really know how many wise men there was. Because their, but their quest was probably motivated by holy desire, inspired by the appearance of a heavenly beacon or a star in the sky. The purpose of their coming was to pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews. Okay, stop for a moment. Think about this. We know that a star appeared in the east, right? We know that because this is what the shepherds was drawn. The angels came and they the stars in the sky, and that's where they went. 
But the wise men also followed the star in the sky. So the stars, the star was in the sky a lot longer than just a couple of days. We believe, we believe, most biblical scholars believe that the wise men shown up, they appeared, they showed up about two years after. So that star stayed in the heavens for a long time. The wise men represent countless hungry hearts of the heathen from the heathen world. Seeing the light of God revealed in nature, they yearn for the light of the world. The wise men coming as Gentiles to pay homage in Judea is a strong proof of the messianic person of who Jesus is. You got to realize something. Y'all, con- I mean, I want you, most people know this, but I'm going to say we're Gentiles. We're part of the heathens. We're not the Jews. We was considered heathens. We was considered in Jewish, in Bible times, we're considered part of the dogs. You know where it says that even the dogs could get part of the crumb? That's us. That's you and I. These wise men were a part of the heathens that was looking for this king of the Jews. It's a whole big ball game right there. We'll just pass over that. I just thought you'd. I find that very, very interesting, but uh, any route. Let's go and take a look at Matthew. The king is born, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, if you're on our live stream, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, verses 18 through 25. We're going to read verse 18 and 19. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, if you're on a live stream, you can turn your Bibles there or the, the scriptures is right Right here in the corner. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. It took place in this way. When, the, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I don't have to explain what that means, do I? Okay, good. Verse 19. And her husband. Now, think about this. Back up to 18. It says, that they was betrothed, they was engaged, they was fiancés. Now verse 19 it says, and her husband Joseph. Does this, does all this make sense to you? Okay, we'll look at that in a little bit in just a second. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Here we have a concise and conclusive statement as to how Jesus was conceived. Matthew made no attempt to explain something that he could not fully understand, but he made a plain statement about the facts. There's no dancing around. There's no fanfare. There's no trying to to hide something. This was statements of fact. The phrase in verse 18 Take a look back there. It says that they was, what did it say? Verse 18, it says, uh, they was betrothed. That's the word, I was looking for that word. They had been betrothed. Now, we know that there was um, arranged marriages in those times. What we must realize and understand is today, I'm not trying to be ugly, I'm just stating facts here. Today, women have the right to vote. 
women are equal to men. There is a, uh, uh, you know, there's things I know that men, there's things that women can't do that men can do, and vice versa, by the way. But in Bible times, a lot of that, a lot of these, a lot of these cultures, a lot of these times, women couldn't just run off and do whatever they wanted to do. They had to ask. I'm not. I'm not trying to be ugly. Had to ask permission from their dad, their oldest brother, or once they got married, their husband. Okay, so these are things that we need to keep in mind as we're looking at this. In verse 18, Mary was an arranged marriage to Joseph. That was he was betrothed, or she was betrothed. The phrase betrothed had been betrothed. Is, is can also be uh, uh, translated as espoused, or in other words, fiancé, engaged, those terms. In Bible times, the marriage ceremony began with a betrothal, which was almost equivalent to a marriage. Okay, The betrothal, or the, the, the time of engagement. Okay, I asked Sister Carrie to, to marry me, gave her a ring. She said, yes. Oh, she did say yes. I, I was having to think back real quick. She says yes, and so therefore we are engaged to be married. And so therefore uh, we, we got married. But we was engaged from December through May. Okay, This is that time frame that we're talking about right here. In Bible times, this, the marriage ceremony began with this part, and it was almost equivalent to a marriage and could not be broken off without a formal divorce. There had to be an actual paper of divorcement in order for an engagement, which is what they was in right now, to be separated. The betrothal ended after a period of time, one year, the groom He's going to his to the bride's house to take her home with him. During the betrothal, this was considered legal and binding on both sides. A violation of the trust was considered adultery and was punished in that way. Now, sorry ladies, but in Bible times, the ladies was the... They, the ladies was the ones that did the did the they was the one that got caught with adultery. Guys, not so much. There was times that there was, but it was more the ladies. Okay, I'm just I'm just telling you what the Bible the Bible times the way it was. Am I not? I mean, I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you. Th this is why. This is why, brother Larry. When we look at the Word of God, we have to look at the culture. You have to look at the context. You have to look at what is going on when you read the Word of God. You cannot, don't take this the wrong way, oh Lord Jesus, somebody's going to think I'm being a heretic when I say this. You cannot take the Bible at just when you read the verse if you're not looking at it in the context in which it's written. Does, does that make sense? Does anybody think I'm a heretic when I say all that? You've got to take everything. And I'm going I'm to say something. I'm going to pause the Sunday school lesson, but I'm going to tell you something. This is what gets a lot of church folks, a lot of Christians, a lot of uh, fake Christians. This is what gets a lot of those in trouble is because they take a scripture 
They put it in the context they want it to be in, and they don't look at the entirety of the Word of God. They don't look at the context in which the Scripture was written and in the time that it was written to understand what is meant by that. Just as a thought, you need to understand, okay? Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus. Joseph knows that his betrothed wife is pregnant. But he did not know as of yet who the daddy was. There's a commentary that says this. Christianity starts with a miracle. It's a miracle altogether so stupendous, so unique, that its repetition settles the whole whole question of a possibility of a miracle. He who can believe God shadowed himself to our appeasement in the likeness of man who he who can recognize the babe in Bethlehem both the son of God the son of Mary will find no equal demand is afterward made upon the faculty of faith what we must understand is the first miracle of Jesus's birth was the fact that Joseph did not have Mary stoned, which was in his right to do. Nobody would have stopped him, right? You know, Bible, this is, this is the culture that they're living in. Joseph finds out his espoused wife is pregnant. During the betrothal time, they are not They have not come together. That's what what the scripture says. I'm going to use those words. During this betrothal time, there was no possibility for Joseph to have been the daddy. Does everybody understand me? All right, that's what the scripture says. Now, what is Joseph to do? The legal penalty of Mary's adultery, supposed adultery, is stoning. But Joseph loved Mary. As a betrothed man, verse 19 says that he, being a righteous man, being a just man, he was unwilling to put her to shame and wanted to handle everything quietly. He did not want to make a public spectacle out of her. He had two alternatives. He could expose her for adultery, and which would be death, or he could quietly cancel the engagement. I want you all to also realize something. The, the Always in these cases, the lady could not cancel the betrothment. It would have been her dad or her oldest brother. That's the only one. Because remember, she can't make decisions on her own. How many ladies are glad that this is not the way we do things today? I figured I'd have about four of them taking laps and shout all over the sanctuary. Take a look at verse 20 and 21. I would ask how many guys wishes. Never mind, I'm not even going to go there. I might get in real trouble then, right? All right, verse 20 and 21. But as he considered, as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from 
Holy Spirit. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The process of thought is going through Joseph's mind during these, during these times. He's distressed. It's a painful decision that he must make. He was a just and righteous person, and he prayed, and he sought God's advice. And an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him, Hey, man, don't worry about this thing. It's all good. Now, y'all have also got to realize something. This has been approximately 400 years since the ending of the Old Testament. There's not really been a word from the Lord until we find right here in the times when they're talking. When the angel of the Lord is talking to Mary, is talking to them in this, in these settings that we're looking at, okay? Perhaps desiring that Joseph be approached in his calmest moments, the angel gave a revelation about what was taking place to Joseph in a dream. The angel addressed Joseph by name, identifying him in, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. As the son of David, Joseph has got to be aware of the promise that was given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. And the angel knew that Joseph wanted to keep his family line pure and wanted to stand there in these promises that was already given unto David. Mary's pregnancy is part of that promise and the angel of the Lord urged Joseph to take her so the promise made to David might be fully carried out in the lineage or the line of David. Let's move on and we'll take a look trying to get through the Sunday school lesson here. The name Jesus, it was told here in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, it says that you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus was a personal name, was the personal name of our Lord. It was derived from the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew name of Joshua. It was a familiar name in the Jewish mindsets. Other mothers had named their boys Jesus. So it's just like in our time today when you think of the word David or Larry or Daniel. You think of these words, Mike. Not Tony Sopranos. Sorry. But you think of these names, this was a common boy name in that time. Jesus, I mean, the next door neighbor's boy name was Jesus. The boy down the street's name was Jesus. This was not an uncommon name. It was a familiar name in the Jewish mindsets. But from this announcement forward, with every word and every act, the name Jesus, Joshua, Joshua, this name takes on a new significance and a higher level of value in our, in our day and time today. We know that the name Joshua, boys are named Joshua. We know that there are some, there's some boys that's named Jesus. And it's spelled just like that today. But it's not as common as it was in that time. 
But what we've got to understand is we come to the concept and the mindset that the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, there is power and there's a value behind that name. There's a mission that Jesus is to take on and is to proceed with. The mission of Emmanuel or Jesus. He came not just to save the Jews, but he was also to break the yoke of Caesar and reestablish the kingdom of David. He came to break the yoke of sin and to set up the sinless kingdom of God. The church has too often misunderstood the object of Advent, of the coming of Christ, as though he meant simply to save the consequences and the result of sin. No, he came to break the yoke of sin on mankind's life. So let's go on. Let's take a look at the next section in our Sunday school lesson. It's called The King is Sought. The King is Sought. You can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Let's read verses 1 through 4 to begin with. Verse 1 through 4. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship when Herod the king heard this, Herod was troubled, and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, Herod acquired, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 1 identifies the place and the time of where Jesus' birth would be. He is born in Bethlehem. The house, Bethlehem means the house of bread. It was a little town about five miles south of Jerusalem. Since it was native of the town of David, it has also been called the city of David. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. Matthew omits in his scripture, he omits the references to the circumstances that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. The details is recorded by Luke only, talking about where, when you, when you read the story of Luke in Luke chapter 2, that the taxes was taking place, and so De Joseph had to get his wife Mary and bring her with him. They was still a spouse, they was not fully married, but they was, he, she was, they was engaged, and so Joseph brought her. Now, I want you to think about this especially you ladies that have had, that have given birth. Some have had difficult childbirths. Some have very, had them very natural, very easily. I want you to think about this. Where Joseph and Mary lived at was 42 minutes driving from start to finish to where they left, to where they went to. It took them... 42 hours, or it would today, to walk it, it takes 42, if me, me and Stan, we're going to start 
we're going to get where they was at to where they finished. It would take me and, no, it would take us longer than that. It take, I was going to say, it take us 42 hours to walk it. It'd probably take a whole lot. It'd take 42 days to walk it, okay? You know what I'm saying? Uh, get 42 minutes into the walk, I'm going to be like, <laughs> but it it would, right now, it would take somebody 42 hours to walk from where they started to where they was at. But you've got to realize, the terrain is a lot smoother today than it was back then. They also had a donkey that was going with them. It took a whole lot longer than 42 hours hours to travel that distance. You think about that. 42 hours is almost two days. They didn't walk, they didn't walk solid for two days. Mary is nine months eight and a half months, nine months pregnant. She ain't walking that whole time. You hear what I'm saying? I remember when Sister Carrie was eight and a half, almost nine months pregnant. They wasn't no walking. Get from the bed to the bathroom is like a, it's a chore. Y'all hear, you ladies, y'all are grinning, y'all are laughing, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. She had to travel that distance, and it wasn't a taxi. Ain't no Uber. Ain't no, ain't no ambulance. All she has is the sandals on her feet and the donkey to get her from point A to point B. This was a chore to do. I know that they, I know when we got in the hospital, they, uh, we've heard, I've heard this many times when a, when a lady is fixing to give birth and things are not progressing like it should, they say for her to get up and walk. Well, Mary took that to the extreme, okay? I'm just here to tell you right now. That's why she was able to give birth. She walked it, okay? She made this thing happen. So let's go on. Uh, the arrival of the of the wise men from the east, it took place likely about two years after the birth. The distance was quite considerable that the wise men even had to travel. The question put by the wise men in verse 2 expresses the expectation of the prevailing, through, prevailing throughout the east that the advent or the arrival of the birth of the great king that all of the prophecies talk about, about the king of the Jews, has got to be taking place. The expectations was likely that he was going to be, there'd be some acquaintance with Hebrew scripture, the book of Daniel, all of these things are telling, and these Jews thought he's going to be born in a capital. He's going to be born in, in, the, in the big hospital up a street. He's going to be born in the royal palace. No, when they, if they, if the wise men had arrived when he was born, like the shepherds did, they had to find him out behind the motel, motel eight, in the pig pen, behind. He was born in a feeding trough. He was not born in a in a nice incubator bed. Okay, like babies are born today. The agitation of King Herod in verse 3 over the inquiry of the wise men was due to his jealous and suspicious nature. Herod was suspicious. He thought, who's this king of the Jews? Who does he think he is? He think he's going to take my place? 
So he's seeking out this king of the Jews. He wants to establish his authority over this king of the Jews. He wants everybody to remember, I'm the king, that little baby ain't. And we find out later that he actually orders a decree to have all the babies executed. Why? Because King Herod was jealous of a little bitty baby. The king summonsed, we find that, I think it's in verse 4, we find that the king has summonsed the religious leaders for consultation. It's not clear whether these chief priests and the scribes represented a formal meeting of the Sanhedrin or if there was an informal of just the religious leaders to get the information as soon as possible. The characteristics of cleverness that Herod is bringing, he was wanting the inquiry made to know where Christ was being born. He, said, I, he says later on, he says, I want to go worship him. No, that ain't what he's wanting. He wanted to exterminate this king of the Jews. Look at verse 5 through 8. They told him, the religious leaders tell him, that this baby is going to be born in Bethlehem because it's been written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judea. For from you shall become a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them, where did this star appear? Verse 8. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you find, when you find him, bring me word that I too may come and worship this baby. Yeah, right. What you talking about? The gathering of religious leaders without hesitation informed the king that Bethlehem was the predicted birthplace of Jesus, the king of the Jews. They quoted from the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, who 700 years before has brought forth the place and had a prophecy of where this baby would be born. The importance of the one to be born. And although for some reason the religious leaders did not fully accurately quote, Herod got his answer. They then too, although they knew scriptures and the theologians did not act on their knowledge, the indifference of the truth is the characteristics of many who, the, who are religious but yet they lack spiritual life and power. This talks about to the, and it's something about in today's time. We, get, we need to realize that they did not accurately quote the prophecy. And these religious leaders, they did not accurately, they did not fully understand what was going on. It's just like in today's time. People will quote scriptures and they'll bend the scriptures, they'll bend the word to uh, justify something that they're doing they know is wrong but they'll use some scriptures to justify what they're doing and they twist things around to make it seem like everything's right. And they deny the power of who God is. And that's the same thing that we find that's going on here. We find that Herod's next step is to determine where the wise men 
from the wise men the probable age of Jesus and where the supposed birth would be at. Accurate information was important and secrecy was necessary. For the public must not think that Herod is wanting to recognize this little baby, but they also did not need to know that he's wanting to execute this little baby. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, all of these are empire. They had built empires. But on what foundation did they rest their the creation of their empire? It was on force. If you look back throughout Roman history, you look back through any kind of these time frames, you find that these empires was built upon force. It was built upon fear. It was built upon slavery. But Jesus Christ founded the empire, His empire, upon love. And at this hour, millions would die for Christ. Millions will possibly die for worshiping the King of kings. Look at verse 3, or in the third section, excuse me. Going into the third section, the king is worshipped. What we must understand is we're living in a day and time. We're thankful. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful I live in America. We're able to join together right now. We're able to be here. We're able to gather together. And we're able to worship the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're not, we don't have a fear of a retaliation. Many think that it's a... They think, ah, who cares if we go to church? It's all right. We can, we can have church here. We can do church at home. We can do church. At, I'm so thankful for our live stream. I'm, I'm thankful we have some that are sick. We have some in the hospital. We have some that are homebound, and they're able to watch live stream, and I'm thankful for that. But I am also grateful and thankful for the fact that we're able to get gather together to worship God with brothers and sisters of like faith. And we need not take this for granted. There are people across this globe that if they was caught gathering in a church, gathering in a living room, and worshiping anybody but the kings that rules those places, they will die. We have missionaries. The church of God has missionaries overseas that we're not even allowed as a pastor. You know, I, most missionaries, I know how to contact most of our missionaries. But there are missionaries that we're not even allowed to know where they're located, where their homes are. We know what country they're in, but that's a big old place. We're not allowed to know specific places. And there's some that are in certain countries that we're not even allowed to broadcast that they're in those countries. Why? Risk of execution. But they're risking it anyway. Why? Because they want to go and spread the good news of Jesus. Take a look. The king is worshipped. Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 to, through 12. Starting in verse, let's just read 9 and 10. After listening to the king, they went on, our, on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was at. 
when they, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It must have been great. It must have been a disappointing and disturbing experience for the wise men to find such ignorance and indifference in the capital city of Jerusalem. Think about what I'm. Okay, remember what we said in the very beginning of Sunday school lesson. These wise men were not Jews. These wise men were of the heathen nations, the Gentiles, you and I. They were scientists. They were astrologers. They were religious. They studied religion, but they was not necessarily Jews. And they had studied enough of prophecies to know the significance of this star in the sky. These wasn't Jews. But what we've got to realize is the king of the Jews, when the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, capital of the Jewish nation, such indifference, such ignorance, such disappointment to these wise men that nobody was excited about the birth of the Messiah. Nobody was excited about the birth of the king of the Jews. Nobody was there worshiping, but yet they still wanted to find the king of the Jews. But having they traveled so far, they ain't giving up now. The weary wise men ventured forth towards Bethlehem in accord with the king's mandate. Over and above royal direction was the prophecy that Bethlehem was the place where the baby would be born. God's word is a sure guide to the discovery of Christ and the salvation that Christ brings. The wise men left Jerusalem and the heavenly beacon appeared once again. The star which had aroused their hopes now appears again to guide them to the exact place where Jesus would be found. The perplexity of these wise men turned to joy when they arrived at the home of Joseph and Mary. Verse 11 and 12. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12. Being warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod. They departed to their own country by another way. They arrived in Bethlehem. The wise men found baby Jesus, not in a manger where those shepherds had found him, but in a house, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11. At the sight of the child with his mother Mary, they bowed in reverence, worship. They did not worship Mary, but they was worshiping this babe. For the purpose of the wise men had traveled so far, the time had now come that they have arrived and they have found the treasure in which they was looking for. Only God, Jesus Christ, only God deserves our worship. Not Mary, but Jesus 
was a babe, was the Son of God, he also must be worshipped. In order, uh, they, they, they was given a dream, and in order not to endanger Jesus, after giving their, their gifts, their traditional gifts to the ruler, to Jesus, as an expression of their faith, these gifts was in, there to increase not only their faith, but also Mary and Joseph's. And during the, the warning of a dream that was given to them by the night, they got up in the middle of the night and they left to go back home another way. Why? Because they did not want Herod to find out where this baby was at. Some gifts that you can give to Christ this Christmas beyond monetary value. There are, you could do these things. You could mend a quarrel. You could dismiss suspicion. You could tell somebody, I love you. Give something away anonymously. Forgive somebody who has treated you wrong. Turn away wrath with a, with a soft answer. Visit somebody in a nursing home or that is homebound. Apologize to someone that you have done something wrong to. Be kind to someone to whom you work with. Give as God has given to you without obligation, without announcement, without decree, without reservation, and without hypocrisy. What a gift that could be given this Christmas, just like these wise men gave this gift that was given to a king of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The visit of the wise men to the Christ child in Bethlehem was motivated by a holy desire. Their own wisdom and research, having failed to satisfy, it didn't satisfy them just to research this. They wanted to go see this baby, this king of the Jews. They had hoped for something better for Israel. They were encouraged by the heavenly light, and aroused, which aroused their hopes and gave guidance along the way. They had a temporary delay in Jerusalem, but they continued to obey the direction from the Holy Scripture, and they went into Bethlehem. They were, they were rewarded by their diligence in finding the child. They fell in front of him, and they worshipped him, and this built their faith. They gave their treasures, and they confirmed their faith when they left and they went to their home a separate direction. You know, church, this Christmas, it would be awesome. It would be awesome to get and give, give gifts this Christmas season. It's awesome. Here in, here in a few hours, I'm going to go to my parents, and then we're going to go to uh, Sister Carrie's family's homes. We're going to give and get and give gifts and receive gifts. I'm going to enjoy seeing my nephews open up their gifts. I hope that my wife wrapped my, my nephews that brick. I seriously doubt it. But what we've got to realize and understand, the greatest gifts that we could give this Christmas would be to show the gift of love, show the love of God to those around us. Amen.
live feed. We're going to end Sunday school just a few minutes early to allow them to get ready uh, to get finish their preparations in the sanctuary for the uh, the teenagers to do their skit this morning. Uh, if you have a prayer request, you can text the keyword prayer to 205-642-8744. I don't know what happened to the live feed, but uh, move the mouse back to, there you go. You can text the keyword prayer to 205-642-8744. We want to partner together in prayer. Join us back at 11 o'clock for our morning worship. May the Lord bless you. Amen. You're still the hope of Christmas You're still the light when the world looks dark You're still the hope of Christmas And you're still the hope of my heart the snowflakes falling down like a blanket on this town for a moment we can hardly see the pain this year has brought us may the sick find healings touch may hatreds fight be one with love and may every heart make room for you the one who came to save us cause you're still the hope of christmas you're still the light when the world looks dark. You're still the hope of Christmas. And you're still the hope of my heart. My little girl by my side She slipped her tiny hand in mine And we both talked to you And it took me back to eight years old My daddy's hand and a story told About 